Chapter 28. So, this is Zero Space, Loren said, looking out through the viewport. We've been in it for a full day, and I still don't understand what it is. I directed my stock eyes to the viewport. I saw blank white. Empty whiteness. Zero space isn't anything, really, I said quietly. It's anti-space. You know, like antimatter and anti-gravity? Well, zero space is anti-space. I had explained this at least twice during the last day, but I guess she was trying to make conversation. She'd been through one of the worst experiences any creature can endure. She had been made a controller. I couldn't believe she was even managing to talk without weeping. Fortunately, the yerk in Loren's head had been at the end of its feeding cycle. Yerks feed on Condrona rays. Every three days they must drain out of their host and return to the yerk pool to absorb Condrona rays. So I made a deal with the hungry yerk. I could keep Loren tied up and wait for the yerk to starve to death. Or the yerk could come out willingly. I agreed to put it in deep hibernation. To freeze it. The yerk decided hibernation was better than death by Condrona ray starvation. I kept my word to the yerk. After it crawled out of Loren's ear, I froze it. And then I ejected it from the ship into the vacuum of real space. Someday it might be found and revived. More likely, it would sink into the gravity well of a star and be incinerated. Especially since I made sure to eject it close to a sun. Maybe that wasn't living up to the spirit of my deal with the Yerk. But somehow, I just didn't care. My notions of proper behavior had brought disaster. I was a fool. A silly child living out storybook notions of decency and fairness. There is no decency in war. Alaron had tried to teach me that. I'd learned it too late. Have you decided where we're going, Alfangor? Loren asked me gently. He doesn't know, Chapman said. He spent his time now, sitting in a corner, glaring darkly at the two of us. Subvisor 7 had been inside Chapman's head. If that had taught the foolish human a lesson, it sure didn't show. Alfangor is confused. Isn't that right? He screwed up bad. Arbron trapped in one of those centipede bodies. Alaron made into the first ever Andalite controller. Almost lost the time matrix. Gonna be tough explaining all this to the folks back home, huh? I ignored him. Back home. What was home anymore? Was I supposed to return home? Home to my parents? Run free on my old, familiar grass? Spend my days with my old childhood friends? I wasn't a child anymore. My home was still there, but I would never belong there again. Loren came over to me. Alfangor, snap out of it. We're going in circles in zero space. Yes, I know. You did the best you could. You're just a kid, like me. I am an Earth in the Andalite military. I disobeyed my prince and caused him to be enslaved by the Yurks. The Yurks will now learn everything Alaron knows about our defenses. Everything he knows about the capabilities of our weapons. Everything he knows about the locations of our ships. 
At least he wasn't a scientist, so we can't give them morphing technology or computer software. But he will still be the greatest intelligence victory in York history. Chapman shook his head. Guess I was right to throw in with the Yurks, huh? You intellects are going down. Unless... Loren glared at him. Why don't you shut up? Chapman just grinned. Unless you Andalites use the Time Matrix thing. Go back in time. Find that first little tribe of Yurk slugs. Kill them, and the entire Yurk species is gone. Gone and never even existed. What do you call that? Oh yeah, genocide. You up for a little genocide, Alfangor? I just shook my head wearily. Don't waste your time taunting me, Chapman. It won't work. Loren looked puzzled. What do you mean? He's trying to goad me into using the Time Matrix. Remember, he's been a controller, however briefly. Subvisor 7 left him instructions, just in case something went wrong. Chapman knows that to use the Time Matrix, I'd have to return to real space. My guess is that the Yurks placed a homing beacon on the Jahar. If we return to normal space, we'll light up every Yurk sensor within a million light years. I could see from the dark rage on Chapman's face that I had guessed correctly. At least I'd gotten one thing right. I wasn't fool enough to fall for. Suddenly, it seemed as if a light had gone on in my head. Wherever the Jahar emerged into real space, the Yurks would go tearing after it. No matter where. A trap! I could spring a trap! But where? Where should I draw the Yurk fleet? To the Star Sword! My old ship! She was off pursuing a Yurk task force near the Graysha Nebula. She'd been hoping to meet a second dome ship there. Two dome ships, plus the Jahar. Enough firepower to handle just about anything the Yurks could muster. I went to the control panel and entered the coordinates. You have a plan? Laurent asked. More or less? I muttered. I was already having doubts. There's a place called the Greyshaw Nebula. We don't know much about it. But there are rumors of a sentient species living in that area. And there are rumors that the Yurks are exploring the Nebula. My old ship, the Starsword, went there to see if it could locate a Yurk task force we were pursuing. So we're going to meet up with your old ship? Is... is this Nebula place closer to Earth? No. Alfangor, am I ever going to get back home? Loren, I will do my best. Chapman snorted. And you've seen how good Alfangor's best is. You might as well kiss Earth goodbye. Chapter 29 We will emerge into real space, I explained. If we're lucky, we won't be far from the Star Sword. If we're even luckier, there will be additional Andalite ships close by. From that point, it will only take the Yurks an hour or so to start showing up. And then? Loren asked. Space battle, I suppose. Andalite fighters and Yurk bugfighters going at it. Us too, of course. Is there anything I can do to help? Yes. Show me the best way to tie up a human. I said, looking at Chapman. I don't want any distractions. 
We tied the human around his feet and hands using spare conduit hose. Then we tied the hands to the feet behind his back. One last thing, Loren said. She took a short length of the hose and wrapped it around Chapman's face, covering his mouth. Now we won't have to listen to him. It took me a few seconds to understand. Many species communicate by making sounds with their mouths. But it had never occurred to me you could silence someone with a piece of hose. To silence an Andalite, you'd have to knock him out, I said. This won't hurt him? No, unfortunately. She smiled to show she had been joking. After all she had been through, from being kidnapped by the Skrit Gnaw to being made a controller, she could still laugh. I wondered if I'd been wrong to think humor was a weakness. I wondered if Ardon could still laugh. Alfangor, aren't you tempted by what Chapman said? I mean, if it were me, I might want to use that time machine thing to change things, you know? Like maybe go back in time and avoid getting kidnapped by the Skrit Gnaw to begin with? She laughed. No, not that. Look, my life was pretty dull before all this. I know when you take me back to Earth, you'll have to erase my memories of this. But still, even though it was horrible sometimes... I don't think I'd want to never have met you. If it wasn't for my mom worrying at all. I was surprised. And pleased, too. In the Skritna ship, where I found the Mustang, I also found pictures of Earth. It looked very beautiful. Wonderful, delicious-looking grass, and tall trees, and streams of water that bubbled across stones. Is your home like that? We do have places like that. Loren said, smiling sadly. There's a place we went once, back when I was little and my dad was still with us. Before he went to the war. It's a place called Yosemite. We camped out in a tent. Yosemite is like that. And did you stick small white cylinders in your mouth and smile at the beauty of it all? Small white cylinders? Loren looked puzzled. Then she laughed her strange but delightful human laugh. You are looking at cigarette ads. Those white cylinders are called cigarettes. They're bad for you, actually. Very bad for you. They make you sick. So... So humans go to beautiful places and use sickening cylinders. Why? But Lorraine was laughing too hard to answer. And pretty soon, even though I had no idea what was so funny... I was laughing too, although my laugh could only be heard by Lorraine inside her own head. So, she said after a while, why don't you want to use this time matrix thing? I waved my stalks forward and back in a gesture of uncertainty. You can't just go messing around with time. They say it's insanely complicated. Sure, maybe I could go back, like Chapman said, and stomp out the first Yurks who evolved. But who knows how many other things that might affect. Besides, to be honest, I guess I'm scared of the Elemists. The what? Supposedly, they're the race that built the Time Matrix thousands and thousands of years ago. They built it, and then, suddenly, as far as anyone can tell, they vanished. The entire species of Elemists just vanished. 
You think it was because I used the time matrix? No one knows. Some people say the elements still exist, but they've moved beyond the normal space-time dimensions we know. There are some who say the elements are almost all-powerful. I shrugged. Of course, there are others who say they're gone forever, or even that they never did exist. Now Andalite parents tell their children stories about the Elemis. Fairy tales. Are fairies magical beings in human mythology? Not just fairies. We have elves and leprechauns and Santa Claus and hobbits and werewolves and vampires. We even have aliens from outer space. Despite myself, I laughed. Yes, those outer space aliens are quite troublesome. Doesn't the Time Matrix prove that these elements are real? Well, I don't know. But if elements are real, if they really do live in dimensions beyond our own, then they have powers that we could not imagine. Pretend? Never mind. No, tell me, Loren urged. Unless you have something else to do. Okay, well, okay, well, you know that space-time has ten dimensions. There are the normal dimensions of up, down, left, right, and forward, back. Then there is the fourth dimension, which is time. Then there are six other dimensions, but they are curled up into themselves, so we don't see or feel them. All we feel are three space dimensions, plus time. Lorraine nodded her head. I wondered what this meant. But she didn't ask me to stop, so I went on. Imagine if... Instead of three normal space dimensions, we only had two. Imagine we were flat, and we couldn't go up or down, just in the other two directions. Call us the Flatties, see? Like if we lived on a piece of paper, Loren said. Exactly. It would be like we were drawings on a piece of paper. And if someone came along and drew a box around us, we could never get out because the lines of the box would be walls. But what if a three-dimensional person came along? A three-dimensional person could lift that flatty right up out of that box. The flatty wouldn't even know what was happening, because he's never gone up or down before. He doesn't even know up and down exist. So you're saying we're like the flatties, except we're in three dimensions, not just two. So we're like cubies or something. Yes. So if some creature came along who existed in more dimensions than us, he'd be able to do things that would be impossible for us. Alamis, that's what they are? Maybe. Like I said, no one knows. But someone built the Time Matrix. Someone real. Someone who isn't around anymore. Phew. So maybe we could use the Time Matrix and pop in and out of time. Or maybe we disappear, like the Elemist may have. Or maybe we just make these Elemists mad, Loren said. Exactly. But if you give the Time Matrix to your people, won't they use it anyway? Even with all the risks? A week ago, I'd have said absolutely not. I'd have said we Andalites don't do things like that. Not even in war. But now... Whatever Alaron did on that hork planet, it was wrong, wasn't it? I stared at her with my main eyes. 
Loren, I don't know what's right or wrong anymore. I just don't. The computer signaled that we were nearing the translation point. We're going back to normal space, I said. And by the way, if we do survive all this and get you back to Earth, could you show me this place with the grass and trees and tall waterfalls? It's a date, Loren said. Could we have a Mustang there, too? She put her arm around my waist and looked deep into my eyes with her two tiny blue human eyes. Anything you want, Alfangor. Just no white cylinders. Chapter 30 Coming out of zero space, now! Zero space is dead white. Normal space is usually deep black, dotted with stars that burn in bright white and pale red and cold blue. But this space was not like that. Jeez! Amazing! You've never been close to a nebula, I observed. But the truth was, even I was awed. The nebula was a dust cloud so large that a dozen solar systems the size of Earth's could have been lost in it with room to spare. It was like a weird, twisted cloud. A cloud of purple and orange that seemed to envelop brilliant stars. It's so beautiful. Yes, and if the star sword is out there somewhere, it'll be really beautiful. I glanced over at Chapman. He lay trussed up and gagged. He glared back at me. Right now, your ships are hearing the transponder they attach to us. They'll be on us in a very short time. I'm conducting a sensor sweep, looking for any Andalite vessels. But it's hard with the nebula around us. The dust confuses the sensors. Are we a long way from Earth? Yes, even by the standards of space. We are hundreds of light years away. Loren stared out at the nebula. She bit her lip a little with her teeth and took her arm away from my waist. Humans like to use touch. It seems odd at first, but I had gotten used to it. I'm going to try calling the Star Sword, I said. I made the ThoughtSpeak link with the communication system. Any Andalite ship in this sector, any Andalite ship this sector, this is Jahar. I expected to have to wait. I was shocked when I heard the voice of Captain Freyorn. Jahar! Jahar! Alaron, is that you? We are under attack! Say again, under attack! Can you... Starsword, I lost you! Starsword! I checked the display. Yes, we had a location fix. I punched in the new heading. Loren, get down on the ground. Back against the bulkhead. I'm going to maximum burn! She ran and threw herself down on the ground just as I punched in the burn. But the acceleration was barely noticeable. The Jahar had amazingly good compensators. But even though there was no feeling of acceleration, the ship blew through space. Alfangor, what's going on? I don't know, but I'm powering up all weapons. At maximum burn, it took less than 10 minutes for us to be able to spot the Great Dome ship. 
she came up on my view screen at high magnification. She looked like a glowing steel stick with a bright half ball on one end. Her engines were off. In the space around her were a dozen or more of our fighters. But what caught my attention were the asteroids. Rough, dark, tumbling rocks. The star swords seemed to be in the middle of an asteroid field. Only that was unlikely. Asteroids orbited stars. There was no star close enough to hold an asteroid field in its gravity. Hey, it moved, Loren said. What are you talking about? I demanded. I sounded rude because I was busy trying to figure out what was going on, and I didn't think a human was going to be very helpful, really. Those rocks! Those asteroids! Look! Look at them! I turned one stock eye to watch the asteroids. Then, in a flash, I focused all four eyes. They're moving! They are under power! As we stared, transfixed, one of the asteroids seemed to sprout a tail. It was a plume of hot plasma. The asteroid turned. It changed course and shot toward one of the Star Sword's fighters. The fighter fired a full-power shredder blast at the asteroid. The green beam zapped through the vacuum. The asteroid glowed where the shredder blast hit, and then it increased speed. The fighter turned to run, but to my amazement, the asteroid accelerated. It stayed on the fighter's tail, twisting, turning, accelerating, and then... Oh! Alfangor, look! No! It's impossible! A pillar of living rock extended from the asteroid like some primitive arm. It struck the fighter. I saw a tiny puff as the air was squeezed from the ship. And then the rock simply grew over the doomed ship. It grew swift, unstoppable, until, within seconds, the entire fighter was covered by living rock. The asteroid had eaten a fighter. Hello, Phanomorphs, and welcome back to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs auditory experience. Still here, it's Daniel. Uh, I have a email today from AJ. It says, this is actually pretty exciting. It says, hey Daniel, I just want to say that I love the podcast. You do an amazing, amazing job bringing to life these characters from my childhood. I look forward to future installments. That part's great. Thank you so much, AJ, for listening and for liking what I do. I really appreciate it. This next part is very exciting. <laughs> I was wondering if you'd heard that the Animorph books are getting official audiobooks through Audible. So far, they have the first two books out and up to the eighth one for pre-order. I listened to a sampling. Apparently, I've been saying Yurk wrong all these years, LOL. Uh, I did not actually know that they were doing those. That's actually really cool. Uh, gosh, I hope Scholastic doesn't come and, and, you know, take down this podcast now that they've decided they want in on on this stuff. And I also listened to the free sampling they have uh, from the invasion on Amazon. And the way that narrator says it is Yerk, like he's Norwegian or something. Uh, I don't know if that's canon. I don't know if that's approved by K.A. Applegate. Uh, regardless, I think I'm going to keep saying Yerk because Yerk sounds uh, real goofy. But yeah, if you uh, want to hear a, I guess, higher production version of what I do, 
Um, you can pay $11 for an audiobook, which I think is a ridiculous amount of money for, you know, uh, like 60 page paperback young adults book. But that's just me. You can listen to this one for free. I promise I'll never charge you for this one. Anyway, the message ends. I hope that you're feeling better and know that you have fans out here in podcast land. Uh, thank you so much, AJ, both for telling me about those audiobooks. That's awesome and wild. Um, and also for the kind words. Uh, I really do appreciate it. And I'm feeling a little bit better this week. So, you know, life moves on. So thank you for listening to another episode. And if you want to reach me like AJ did, you can do that at audiomorphscast at gmail.com or audiomorphscast.tumblr.com. You can also check out theapocalypse.com, which is my website. That's The Apocalypse. It's like apocalypse, but there's a D right there in the middle. Uh, it's where I post all my creative endeavors that I, I do in my free time because I have a short attention span and I need to create. Um, that's really all I have this week. So thanks for listening and I'll see you next week. My name is Daniel and I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight.